0: Well, good morning. Good morning. Um, years ago, I was traveling from Sierra Vista to Phoenix on I-10 when all of a sudden, traffic came to a stop. And I was to find out later that there had been a, a fatal accident on I-10, and when there's a fatal accident, close the freeway and direct everybody off. And for an hour and a half, I sat in traffic, and remember, this is pre-cell phone internet day. Looking, trying to see, and you know all I could see in front of me? Cars. How long was it going to be there? I didn't know. Where could I go? I didn't know. Sometimes life can feel that way. Circumstances, have us stuck. And every place we look, we can't see. Where to go? Don't know. How long is this going to last? I don't know. What do we do when we're stuck in life's circumstances? Where's our hope? Well, I want to talk about that this morning. So you got a Bible, you'd Open it to Genesis chapters 30 and 31. We're going to start in verse 25 and go through Genesis 31, 55 and ask the question, What's our hope when we're stuck in life's circumstances? As you're turning there, let me give you a quick overview of Genesis. Uh, The first 11 chapters, God creates, and humanity pushes back to say, we don't need God. Normally, I try not to delve, or I don't often delve into current events, but like many of you, I opened my phone today, and I checked on my news app to find out there have been yet another shooting, I think that's two, in this weekend. And there's a whole bunch of politics that are around that, but one piece that is not talked about that bothers me is the question is, why are we doing this? Why are we shooting each other? And part of my contention is, since we've moved away from believing that we are created in God's image and that we're a chance of a chemical reaction, it makes life a whole lot less valuable. And so I feel free to go ahead and shoot you because I don't believe you're made in God's image and I don't have to give an account for that. And as we move away from the idea that we're created by God and that we're just here by chance, it makes life a whole lot less valuable. Anyway, God created humanity pushed back, And God said, I'm going to reinsert myself through this nation called Israel. He started with Abraham and Sarah. There was a second generation, Isaac and Rebekah, and the next generation is Jacob. And uh, out of Jacob's family, we saw it was a mess last week. Uh, God drew the nation of Israel, and He drew the line of Jesus, and and God's making Himself known through the church today. Uh, But that all started with this family of Jacob. And Jacob's in process. He's going to be one of the The patriarchs, the forefathers of of the Jewish faith and of our faith, but man, he's he's got some character flaws. He's really deceptive. And he's really dishonest. And, And and he's in God's process. He left his homeland, which was Israel, and he's going back to southern Babylon to or southern Iraq, which is to to his where his grandfather came from to find a wife. and He's actually ended up with two. It's quite a story there. And he's got a bunch of kids, and he's ready to go back. But that's not going to be that easy. And that's where we start in Genesis 30, verse 25. Now, it came about when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my own country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, and let me depart For you yourself know my service, which I have rendered you. Jacob's ready to go. And he said to Laban, look, I've given you 14 years, and and I've gotten, I wanted one, I've gotten two wives out of it, and I'm ready to go. But technically, Jacob has only earned his his wives, and and, and, and the kids are, are in question, can they go or not? So Laban answers verse 27, but Laban said to him, if now it pleases you, stay with me. I have divine that the Lord has blessed me on your account. He continued, name me your wages and I will give it. Laban, his uncle, realizes, man, I've prospered since Jacob's been here. I don't want him to go. Now Laban's not thinking about Jacob. He's not thinking about anybody else but Laban. But this Jacob, man, he he really causes me to to, to flourish. And I, I don't want you to go. Maybe he wants to go. I don't care. I don't want you to go. Uh, and then Jacob's going to answer him. But he said to him, "You yourself know how I have served you, and how your cattle have faced fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased to a multitude." And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turn, But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? Yeah, you've been making a killing off me, Laban. But what about me? i got two wives, two servant women, and 12 sons and a daughter. I, I need to care for them. I- I've got financial responsibilities. So verses 31 through 34... Um, they make a deal. Jacob will continue to shepherd Laban's flock, but all the lambs that are born that are spotted or speckled or multicolor will be his. Most sheep are born monochromatic, one color. They will be Laban's. Normally a shepherd takes 20% of the sheep that are born. But this is the deal they work out. And we're going to see as we get into this that the Lord's been in that. But, but Jacob's taking a pretty big risk because I don't know what the percentages are, but not that many are born spotted or speckled. So that's the agreement they make. But, but look what Laban does, verses 35 and 36. So he, Laban, removed on that day the striped and spotted male goats and all the speckled and spotted female goats, every one with white in it and all black ones among the sheep, and gave them into the care of his sons. And he put a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flock. So Laban says, okay, we'll do that. And he takes all those that are spotted or speckled, and he he brings them off over here. They're going to be three days for Jacob's going to be herding sheep. So Jacob's going to start with all sheep that are, that are one color. And he's got to hope in the genetics that some come out spotted and come, some come out speckled. So what, is, what does Jacob do? Well, verse 37 to 39, Jacob took fresh rods of poplar and almond and plain trees and peeled white stripes in them, exposing the white which was in the rods. He set the rods which he had peeled in front of the flocks in the gutters, even the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink and they mated when they came to drink. So the flocks mated by the rods and the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spottled. So he takes some trees and he puts them by the watering trough because this is where they made and, and he puts stripes in those trees. And his thinking is that as the The sheep see that, that they'll produce spotted and speckled lambs. I don't think there's any science in that. I don't think there's, but that's what he does. He didn't get that idea on East Campus. I just want to say that. (laughs) Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. And he put his own herds apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Moreover, whenever the stronger the flock were mating, Jacob would place the rods in the side of the flock in the gutters so that they might mate by the rods. When the flock was feeble, he did not put them. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. So, here's the end of all this planning and scheming. Verse 43. So the man, Jacob, became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks and female and male servants, and camels and donkeys. And we're going to get an explanation in just a little bit of what went on there. But God prospers Jacob. Well, it shouldn't be a surprise. He's been prospering him for a while. Remember, they, they set the terms, Jacob and Laban did, and really they were favorable terms to Laban. And Laban was all on board, and he got in there, and he's got his... Spotted and speckled ones out. He, he said it, so things favored him. But Jacob prospered anyway. Well, what's the response of, of Laban's family? Chapter 31, verses 1 and 2. Now, Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what belonged to our father, he has made all this wealth. Jacob saw the attitude of Laban, and behold, it was not friendly toward him as formerly Laban's good as long things going his way, he sets the terms. But things start to go Jacob's favor. Mm-mm. Aren't you happy that that I mean you you've prospered for fourteen years with with Jacob there? Can't you cut him a little? No, no, no. He's not not happy about that. This is all about Laban. It's all about us getting rich at the expense of everybody else. How far does greed go back? It goes back at least this far. At this point, God steps in. Here's what he says, verse 3. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and your relatives, and I will be with you. So he's got, I mean, it's been, we're going to find out it's been 20 years. And it's been a deal switching daughters for wives and, and then... Manipulating circumstances and flocks and sheep, and we'll find out in just a little bit, there's been more. So, so God has said, Jacob, you need to go. The question Jacob's first comes to mind is: I have married two of Laban's daughters, Leah and Rachel. Are they going with me or are they stay? Well, we'll find out. Verse 4. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the flock in the field. It said to them, I see your father's attitude that it is not friendly towards me as formerly, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I've served your father with all my strength. Yet, your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. However, God did not allow him to hurt him. Laban hasn't de- dealt honestly with Jacob. He's, he's cheated him, he's changed his wages ten times. If he spoke thus... The speckled shall be your wages. Then the flock brought forth speckled. And he spoke thus, the striped shall be your wages. Then all the flock brought forth striped. Thus, God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. So Jacob realizes this stuff of putting the trees and striping them and putting them, making sure they're there when they made. That, that's, that's all window dressing. What's gone on is God has stepped in and given him favor. And he's given him a flock. Verse 10, and it came about at the time when the flock was mating that I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream. And behold, the male goats which were mating were striped, speckled, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, I said, here I am, he said, lift up now your eyes and see that all the male goats which are mating are striped, speckled, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. God is involved in this. It's been 20 years, but God hasn't missed it. God hasn't forgotten, and now he's going to speak. I'm the God of Bethel where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me. And this is when he was coming to his homeland. Now arise, leave this land, and return to the land of your birth. Rachel and Leah said to him, do we still have any portion or inheritance in our father's house? is a rhetorical question. Are we not reckoned by him as foreigners? Yes. For he has sold us and has also entirely consumed our purchase price. In other words, Jacob gave him seven years of service for each daughter, 14 years. But rather than saving that as a dowry to send off his daughters, no, no. Jake, uh, Laban has consumed that for himself. Verse 16, surely all the wealth, which God has taken away from our Father, belongs to us and our children. Now then, do whatever God has said to you. So that's Rachel and Leah saying, yeah, we're going with you. We're going with you. So verses 17 to 21, they head out. And they head out, well, um, Laban is out shearing sheep. And one thing that happens in there, we won't read it, is that Rachel goes in and takes the household idols. and That'll be a problem. Well, verse 22 and 23, uh, Laban finds out. Verse 22, When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, that he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him a distance of seven days' journey, and he overtook him in the hill country of Gilead. God came to Laban, the Armenian, in a dream of the night and said to him, Be careful that you do not speak to Jacob, either good or bad. Laban's got a powerful army. And it. May not go well for Jacob, but God shows up in a dream to Laban and says, "Don't, basically, don't try and convince him to return. Don't speak to him good or bad. Don't don't try and convince him. I've called him for this. Don't you deter him from that? I won't read verses twenty-five to twenty-eight, but there's all kinds of emotional manipulation that goes on there. But but Jacob won't hear it. He's not going back. Uh, verse twenty-nine. Laban is speaking. He said, "It's in my power to do to you harm." But the God of your father spoke to me last night. Again, God is speaking into his circumstances, saying, be careful not to speak, either good or bad, to Jacob. Verse 30, uh, he asked the question, why'd you steal my household gods? Well, Jacob doesn't know anything about household gods being stolen. Rachel, his wife, did that on her own. So he voices that in 31 to 33. There's a big search for these idols. And Jacob said, the one who stole them must die. Well... That's a problem because Rachel stole them. Well, verse 34 and 35. Now Rachel had taken the household idols and put them in the camel's saddle, and she sat on them. And Laban felt through all the tent but did not find them. She said to her father, let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of woman is upon me. So he searched but did not find the household idols. Uh, Verses 36 to 42, um, Jacob blast Laban for his deception. I won't read all that. I'll read verses 41 and 42. It says this, these 20 years I have been in your house. I have served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for the flock, and you changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had not been for me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the toil of my hands, so he rendered judgment last night. Laban, you've manipulated me. You've had me vulnerable. You've cheated me. You've changed my wages. And really, I I would be lost. I'd be hopeless. I'd be your indentured servant. But God spoke. God intervened. That's our hope. When circumstances have us hemmed in, when we're stuck on the freeway and all we can see is parked, and we can't see an exit, we can't see anything, our hope is that God intervenes in our circumstances. So what's our hope? When we're stuck in life circumstances, our hope is that God intervenes. So now here's the question I have for you, what are your circumstances? See, see for, for Jacob, he was caught under an all-powerful boss who wasn't going to let him go. And he waited, and he waited, and he waited, and finally said, now is the time to go. So I'm wondering, is it a health issue? Is it a job issue? Yeah, I mean... In a sense, Jacob had a real bad boss. Got a, job, a boss that's just demanding. In, in a relationship, I mean, you love this person, but you do, I mean, you, you can't seem to resolve the conflict. Is it a child or a parent? What's our hope? Our hope is that God intervenes. Andy, when's that going to happen? I don't know. I don't know. Tomorrow, I, 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 can't, I can't promise that. Next week, next I, I can't. Look, it was 20 years for Jacob. Man, why 20 years? Well, if, if you know Jacob's story, he took advantage of his brother and took his birthright. Had him in a vulnerable position, took advantage of him. And then he wanted his father's blessing, so he took advantage. His father was aging, and his his eyesight was going, and he worked with his mom, and he he worked up this deception. Basically, his father couldn't see, so he he said, "I'm I'm Esau, when he was really Jacob, and, and he took what was... I mean, the guy is just chalked through with deception. I don't know. I don't know the mind of God, but the Bible says you reap what you sow. And right here, for the last 20 years, Jacob has been living the deception of his father. And, and I think God is doing a work in Jacob's life right now, but one of the things he's doing right now is he's saying, what's it like? What's it like to be under the power of someone who's deceptive? Look, I, I don't know the mind of Jacob, but before he went back, he was traveling back from modern-day Israel to southern Iraq. Uh, God met him and gave him this promise in Genesis twenty eight fifteen. He says, behold, I'm with you, and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, the land from which he was leaving. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. That's That's the only thing Jacob had. God promised, I'm going to bring you back. So my question is, what are the promises on which you're building your life? This is why we're begging you, beseeching you to be in the Word of God. He speaks to us. He reveals himself there. And often in life, in the midst of circumstances, when they're stuck, you know, we're stuck on the highway and we can't see and there's no internet and we don't know how to go, and all we can see is cars in front of us and no exit. All we've got are the promises of God. 1986, I was working for Campus Crusade. In the fall of 85, I had committed to go to the Turkey for the summer of 86, and I don't know if you remember the news of 86. It's when terrorism started being ramped up. There was, there was a bombing at the airport in Rome. There was a bombing at the airport in Athens, U.S. tracked it back to Libya, and under Ronald Reagan in April of 1986, we bombed Libya, and that inflamed the whole Middle East against the United States, death to America. And I think, great, I'm going there in June, that's great timing. And and now the, the threat was far more perceived than real, but I went to Istanbul for eight weeks, And the eight weeks before that, I wrestled with that. And God gave me this promise, Psalm 9, verse 10. Nope, Psalm 9, verse 10. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. I hung on to that. Well, what did that mean? Was I going to come out good? Now I didn't have anything, but the promise I had was God doesn't forsake His people. I held on to that. Years later, I was in the job search that was bring us bring us here. Our kids were three and a half and nine months old, and I needed a job. And it was June, and I was without a job, and I just thought a job was going to happen in Indiana, and it didn't. And I said, "Hope we have." No prospects right now. And said, Andy, let's give it till Christmas. And and in that time, God gave me this. This is the promise I held on to. Genesis 37. Joe, can you show that? Genesis 37. I have been young, and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. I held on to that. God will be faithful to me and my family. What, what did that mean in terms of getting a job? Well, I didn't know. When? I, I didn't know. Well, it was that next week. I got a call from an administrative assistant at Lincoln Breen. I'd put an application in the October before. Would you be available for a phone interview? Oh, you wouldn't believe how available I'd be. By October 1, I started at Lincoln Brand. Look, all we've got is the faithfulness and promises of God. Do you know God? Are you in His Word? Do you have things you can stake your life on? Because I promise you there are going to be circumstances there. That All we've got is God and His promises. And the hope we've got is we wait on Him. It's just like he was doing in Jacob's life. He's doing a work in our lives that we can trust in him. Uh, The rest of the chapter, Genesis 43 through 55, verses 43 through 55, um, Jacob and Laban make a covenant, and they're good. Now, now, you know what Jacob's doing next? He's going back to face his brother Esau, the one who he stole uh, God's blessing, who wanted to kill him 20 years ago. So it's it's not getting better for Jacob. We'll, we'll, We'll talk about that next week. But what he knows is that God is with him. You ever been stuck in a snowbank? Been stuck? Everybody stuck in a snowbank? Okay. So what do you do? You get in there and you're stuck and you step down on the accelerator. You put it in reverse. How does that work out for you? No, it doesn't help, does it? It digs you in. What you need is you need somebody to come along who's got a four-wheel drive or is on pavement Put a chain on your bumper and pull you out. That's how circumstances go. We try and, zzz, I mean, we're stepping all our We're stepping on it. We're getting nowhere. We're just digging ourselves in deeper. There's a God who wants to hook us and pull us out. But we're going to need to wait on Him. That's our hope in our circumstances that He'll step in. We're going to move to a time of communion now. So if you're a person leading a table, if you'd come up here, that would be great. Uh, We don't believe this becomes the literal body and blood of Jesus, whether we're we're, uh, remembering, we're recalling this Jesus who died uh, for our sin, that we might uh, be right with him and have a relationship with God and have access to him. So you don't need to be a member of North Point, you just need to be a follower of Jesus to celebrate with us. If you're not sure what that means, please feel free to watch. Um, I'll pray, and then in a moment, if we would go these sections to these sides end sections over there and we'll celebrate this together. So, our Lord, we're grateful for Christ who died that that we could have this relationship. And and, and Jacob's story reminds us that that, uh, there are times we're so stuck, there's nothing we can do but wait on you. Thanks for Jesus who died. Lord, uh, that we look to you in the hard circumstances. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.